0: Welcome to Engaging Culture, a podcast presented by Bridgeway Christian Church. I'm Brian Kiley. Today, Pastor Lance Hahn and I welcome Greg Fuson to the program. Greg is a creator and curator of the Matter Gathering, a place for creatives to gather to wrestle with some of the biggest questions we face as humans. We'll talk to him today about the heart behind the conference and how we can create lives that matter. All that and more on this episode of Engaging Culture. Well, hi, everybody. Welcome to Season 3, Episode 11 of the Engaging Culture Podcast, joined by—well, first of all, I'm Brian Kiley—joined
1: by middle-aged dad, Lance Hans. Yes, hello. I am middle-aged dad, talking for all middle-aged dads everywhere. Yes, which, by the way, uh, off—yeah, off-camera, right? I was just told I look like a middle-aged dad. I think I look awesome. I don't understand what the deal is. I—
0: What's wrong with being a middle-aged dad? Uh, well, Lance?
1: it's awkward and insulting to well, me. Well,
0: uh, well, that just sounds like a personal problem. <laughs> just, you know, so, just yes. You let gotta... me
1: process all of my insecurities right here on the air. That'd Wonderful.
0: Well, our guest today is the one who pointed out yes. Pastor Lance's middle-aged dadness, and yes. that is Greg Fuson. Greg, thank you for pointing that out about Lance, and thank you more than that for being on our show. <laughs> Glad to have you with us today. Uh,
2: my pleasure to be here. Uh, fun fact: I was uh, my wife and I were part of the pastoral search committee uh, for a church that was just being uh, launched many, many years ago that found and interviewed and hired Lance, so I will take credit for launching his career. Wow. Amen. That sounds Amen.
0: like, uh, yeah, I think uh, you just owe it all to
1: Greg. Greg was right part right of that, there. by anyone taking notes, 1997. 1997. Going back. That's yeah. a long time ago. Wow, So, yeah. so you- I didn't even realize that you guys went back that far. (laughs) Yes, we do. So I know Greg very well, and because, uh, depending on how he answers questions and whether or not he insults me at any point, I will dig up dirt and point out things about Greg and his wife, Joy. There we go. Okay, moving on. I feel like we
0: have like a mutually assured destruction thing going on. (laughs) Yes. Where if like like somebody somebody opens up, then it's just like... (laughs) (laughs) Well, I'm sure that would make for interesting listening uh, for our listeners, but uh, we will try to... Steer the conversation in a different direction. Thank you, Brian. If that's all right, you know, someone's got to be the adult. Right. It's my cross to bear. Anyway, uh, Greg, talk to us a little bit about your background. You run this this gathering called Matter Gathering, Mm -hmm. and we're going to get into talking about that. But how did this gathering come to be? Tell us a little bit about sort of your story and and getting to that point.
2: Yeah, so I'll try and give you the condensed version, but it's really like 20-plus years in the making. That's how long I've been doing conference organizing. Wow. Wow. Um, You know, it was a career that – well, it was a job that I fell into right out of college. I didn't think it was going to be a career, and pretty quickly I saw that – I really like this and I'm kind of good at it. So um, I would say about 10 years into that process, things were going great. Uh, The event that I was working on was really successful. It was largely a case of being in the right place at the right time because it was fueled by a massive housing boom that didn't end until 2008. But at the time, we felt really successful and we thought we were really smart. And, uh, yeah, it was about 10 years into it that I started to get this kind of gnawing sensation that uh, as much success as we were having, that what I was pouring my time and energy into essentially amounted to helping our customers make more money and not get sued. And (laughs) That sounds very fulfilling. Nothing (laughs) wrong with that, right? I'm a capitalist. But at the same time, it was like... um, If there's not something more to this than that, then, you know, know, like, what's the point, really? I don't want to labor in vain. Sure. So that was what got me really kind of restless and began agitating for, can we be doing something that's deeper and more meaningful than this? And. At the time, I was working with a group that was very uh, focused on uh, home building and community development. And uh, as I started talking to other people about what might this look like, it became pretty clear that what was at the heart of everything that they do is community. Mm-hmm. And you know, not just community in the sense of the built environment, but the sort of the human fabric that's underneath it that gives yeah. it all meaning in the first place. And so, um, yeah, we sort of incubated this small. Uh, to kind of trial conference that we named The Vine uh, to be a deep dive into the nature of community and uh, worked on that for the next 10 years and uh, ultimately came to a place where uh, I, as uh, sort of you know, the, the, the creative driver of it and they, as the organization that owned it and funded it, had different views on where they thought it should be going. And so um, we ultimately came to a decision that it didn't make sense to keep working on that together. Um, But I knew that the spirit of that was something that I had to still pursue. Mm -hmm. And so that kind of... be. The ending of that became the beginning of matter. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So I'm gonna fill in some gaps here. Okay. Because I was
1: I was with Greg during this this entire process. Okay. So it starts out with he works for PCBC, Pacific Coast Building Conference. And what they do is they hold this, they used to, I don't, do they still do it? They do. Okay. So they hold this massive convention. Now, the one that I went to was at the Moscone Center in San Francisco, but I don't know if they always use that, but that they would need large spaces. Mm-hmm. So what that conference is, is actually all the build, different people that are involved in the building industry. So you have Pella windows and you have doors and you have all this stuff and everyone comes and showcases their stuff. Okay. But while they're doing that, you have guest speakers coming in and they're if Firing up the group, and they're excited. And, and so it's this big, like, if you are in the industry, you need to come from all over the nation and come to this conference. Well, Greg and his team put on the conference, and that was the job that he worked at. Okay. Then along the way, when we hit uh, this idea where he starts talking to me about maybe there's something more and uh, processing uh, a lot, that's when the Vine started. So just filling in the gaps a little bit, um, the Vine was a subset of... Of those same people that wanted to do something a little deeper than simply make money. They wanted to get into the creative side of it. And as he said, um, that huge conference, really, as much as they're just building windows, they're ultimately building community. Um, And so he started this thing called The Vine, and he invited me to it. Was I at the first one? You were. Was that Bacara? Yes, Santa Barbara. Okay, so... Santa Barbara, you yeah. are nice. familiar, with Barbara. familiar with Santa Barbara, uh, Bacara Resort out there, oh, cool. which, I, by the way, you started in style, yeah. brother. <laughs> That's <laughs> yeah. all I'm trying it's, to tell it's you. It's a nice it, place to start. It's yes. in Goleta, right? Mm-hmm. So right yeah. on the edge of Santa Barbara. So yeah. so I go to this thing and I'm like, what in the world are we doing? Like, <laughs> I don't even know what's happening here. And all I knew was this is where Oprah goes. That's yeah. the one thing that I remember hearing yes. about. Well, so, then you know it's legit. It's legit. It was beautiful. <laughs> yeah. And so we go there. How many people were at the first Vine? 200. Okay, Okay. so we have this 200 group subset of PCBC people that are saying, we trust Gray. We're into this idea of of saying we want to do something more and build community and not just houses. And in that conference, uh, just to give the listeners kind of a a connection as to why I find this so fascinating. This is the first time I heard concepts like... Um, hey, if you're going to build a city, and there were city planners there, and there always ends up being city planners somewhere around there. They go, we're trying to design a city that would actually work to infuse community. And this, I love this line. They said, when you're designing a city, you always ask yourself, if there's a mob with pitchforks, <laughs> where would they amass? Right? And it was the idea that, that you have to create a central location to what creates gathering and community and all this stuff. I start learning about what does a walkable community mean? I start learning about environmental architecture. All this stuff that I was like, uh, I had no idea. It's stuff that it's easy for us not to pay attention to, but these are
0: things that professionals pay attention yes. to and it really affects the dynamics of cities and communities more than
1: probably we
0: realize and it affects yes. our individual lives more than we realize
1: yeah and so being around that and then not only just the people that do that but the people that care about it like there's people yeah. that do things and there's people that care about stuff yeah and you happen to amass about 200 people that said i really want to think a bit deeper about it mm-hmm. so so as you launched into that sorry Pastor Brian, I'm cutting you off go, right go. here. But as you launched into that that first year, what were you hoping would happen through the vine? Because we're gonna get into matter in a moment, but but what what were you hoping? We're there at Bacara, it's beautiful, everything's set up, and it was a incredible event. But what were you thinking as you went in there?
2: Well, my objective in all of that was and still is to work with this particular audience that spends I mean look. There's no shortage of conferences out there, right? right? The the world didn't need another (laughs) seminar on, you know, how to get better at XYZ. Yes. Um, What I was looking to do was take this particular audience and bring them into a much bigger, broader, more significant conversation about what was important, what was essential about the things that they do. Right. And so from the get-go, my objective was always that that I I thought that the definition of success was that we are not just an industry group meeting and talking to each other about our own issues, right? Mm-hmm. That we are deliberately bringing in outsiders to expand our perspective to to you provoke us to a different way of thinking to even make us a little bit uncomfortable. Yes. Uh, that was a key element. A little bit of, you know, the right amount of disequilibrium is good for people.
1: Yeah. And, and it wasn't, um, it wasn't simply that you were only talking about building issues. Um, so for example, give a couple in those early years of the vine, what were some of the speakers that you had come in? Cause I remember a couple that really stuck out to me, but, but to you, like what kind of speakers would you bring in? You were stirring the pot and getting people to think. Mm-hmm. So who was who were those people? Do you remember?
2: Well, I, so I'm curious. Why don't you throw at me the ones that stuck out <laughs> with you? <laughs> okay.
1: I was a huge fan of Malcolm Gladwell, uh-huh. right? So the, the oh, guy, awesome. I mean, so when you're talking about some heavy hitters, that guy... Uh, His books, Blink and The Tipping Point and stuff like that, I had kind of already been in those. And so when this, you know, kind of awkward white guy with a fro shows up, (laughs) and, you know, and I realized that's Malcolm Gladwell, because I think I first saw him at PCBC, Mm -hmm. um, and then you ended up importing him into the vine. But he came in and spoke. Um, I remember that um, there was uh, some that would talk about, um artwork there was a lot of artwork pieces there was a lot of creativity and artistry and um I'm I'm blending a lot of them into the matter speakers mm-hmm. as well so I'm not quite sure if we're gonna talk about but what what do you remember who you brought in
2: well the one I thought you were gonna say was Erwin McManus oh yeah well <laughs> yes
1: one of my fellow brothers yeah. in the ministry yes uh
2: yeah. so that was uh you know and and this gets into uh probably the the deeper more personal yeah. and probably more relevant to this listener <laughs> yeah. group yeah. Yeah. aspect to it right is that I'm a believer yeah. yes I have my entire career worked in the secular field yes this is a secular audience this is a business specific event yes uh, but I'm coming at this as the organizer as the the creator as the curator uh, with a faith-based. Uh, perspective. Yeah. How does Jesus not leak into that? Exactly. Yeah. So, um, you know, uh, that was important to me, not that I was going to, uh, you know, I wasn't trying to like surreptitiously sneak faith into this. Uh, My objective all along was uh, to take a secular audience and bring them right up alongside issues that are deeply, innately, profoundly from and of God, yeah, and yeah. that if those two worlds rubbed against each other, that something good would come from that. And that was basically my whole approach. Erwin yeah. uh, Ir- McManus was a speaker that I knew that I could bring in who had a clearly defined faith point of view, sure. but also a very sensitive heart to culture and what's going on in the world. And I kind yeah. of figured I can trust this guy <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, to share issues of Faith in a way that's going to be very sensitive to and and respectful of a, a non-faith audience. Yeah, yeah and, and and absolutely he did.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: He's someone who, in my, I mean, I don't know him personally or anything, but I've watched his career, and he's somebody who has, yeah, like you said, a clear faith perspective. Tremendous cultural savvy and can be very sort of disarming in his approach. Mm-hmm. That I, I could see a faith-based and secular audience sort of nodding along and being motivated mm-hmm. by him yeah. uh, and a lot of what what he has to say. Yeah. And I think that I mean that like he he in my mind can, I mean he's he's sort of a great picture of sort of what it sounds like you're trying to accomplish through mm-hmm. the conference is you're just bringing about people who can speak to the human heart, who can speak to these issues of real life, speak to these uh, challenges that. People from across the board, secular, faith based, whatever, are Mm -hmm. facing. And you start to connect. And I think the beauty of our faith is that when it's presented appropriately, like our faith can speak into these questions Mm -hmm. and can do so winsomely and effectively, Mm -hmm. and and some cool things can happen. Now, you were with Vine for a while, and then you started Matter. And like you said, the world did not need another conference. Uh, Nobody's saying, if only we had a conference to go to, right? (laughs) But. You and I have talked a little bit about how is the matter gathering different mm-hmm. than sort of your standard? I've been to a million conferences and nearly all of them have been great. You know, how, is, how is matter different than yeah. your standard conference?
2: Yeah, so let's start with the word conference. I mean it's a shorthand that we use to understand uh, you know, a, a group of people coming together and being in a defined space for a defined length of time, right? Yeah, right? That's about where the the label ends when it comes to what it is that we're trying to create, first with the vine and now with matter. Um, you know, let's start with the environment. I don't meet in uh, hotel ballrooms or convention centers, right. uh, you, you know, uh, not a slam against them, but uh, they're pretty sterile environments and they are very, very expected when it comes to yeah. people showing up for these things. And so when you put them into a familiar space that they've been in dozens of times before, uh, they, they're just going to sort of slip into this default behavior, Right. Yeah, They're gonna be in sure. conference mode and yeah. I don't want people in conference mode. I want them there in a way that is much more uh, uh kind of receptive to new ideas and, and and new ways of looking at the world. Yeah. And open themselves to share and be vulnerable and be themselves so that the interactions that people are having amongst themselves are that yeah. much more meaningful. Yeah. S- and and I think that you trigger that um, f- through a number of ways, but f- for starters, you get them out of the expected environment, right? So yeah.
0: I mean, I, you you talk about being in sort of conference mode. To me, conference mode is a little bit passive, right? Mm-hmm. Like if I'm an attendee right. at a conference, I might make some connections or have some small talk or or, or meet a, meet someone who does something similar at a different church or whatever. Mm-hmm. But I'm ultimately I'm sitting, I'm listening, I'm not participating. Mm-hmm. I get the sense that matter is a much more participatory environment. Would that be fair to say? Yeah,
2: that's the goal. And, you know, without getting too kind of sort of conference wonky on you, uh, I'm, you know, a lot of groups are going to the unconference, which, you know, kind of defined as as there's no planned agenda and the whole thing is kind of wide open and it's participant led. I'll incorporate some of that, but no, that's not that's not what this is about. I mean, you know, for thousands, there's still of, a plan here. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. You yeah. want some organization to it, and for thousands of years, you know, we've been learning at the feet of people with wise things to teach us, right? Sure. So I'm not, I'm not I'm not trying to get away from that. I, I I do still have a lineup of speakers. It's just that, you know i I approach conference design, putting together a program. Um, as a lot like filmmaking, right? There mm. needs to be an emotional arc from start to finish. Yeah, you, I, I always want to touch on uh, uh, multiple uh, experiential feelings that you're going to have. I want you to laugh. I want you to cry. I want you to be provoked. I want you to feel uncomfortable yeah. for part of the time. Um, and that's really driven by the idea that, uh, as Hugh McLeod has put it, uh, nothing changes until someone feels something first, right? So you mm-hmm. want to activate yeah. the person's emotions to get them into a more uh, kind of receptive frame of mind uh, to 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 hear new ideas and and think about the world in different ways. Yeah.
1: yeah, let me let me give the audience kind of an idea on what the experience is like. So uh, this last one, um you you come into these rather creative environments. So mm-hmm. the last place that we had Matter at was, down in LA, mm-hmm. and and talk a little bit about what the what the venue was.
2: Yeah, so the building was a former church that had been a community hub in uh, the the uh, in Highland Park, uh, LA, for over a hundred years. Uh, in the um, <coughs> uh, in the earlier part of the. Uh, uh, it, While it was still a functioning church, it was very socially progressive. It was a a, a big driver and supporter of the civil rights movement and the women's suffrage movement. Uh, Eventually, it sort of fell into decline and closed as a church. And it was then... Acquired and renovated by a husband and wife team, a musician team, yeah, with just a beautiful eye for <laughs> wow. uh, creating uh, lovely, engaging, inviting spaces. And so this was a rundown church that was beautifully restored. They kept all of the stained glass windows yeah. intact. It's crazy cool. And you just walk into it and you feel something, right? Mm. And wow. And furthermore, so it's a cool space to begin with. It's usually used... Uh, for weddings, okay. and that's one thing I found is that wedding venues tend to know how to play yes. up the emotion. <laughs> yeah, so I'll look for those, um, and and again, it's this. I'm at a conference, but this looks nothing like what I'm used to when I come yeah. to a conference. Yeah, like
1: so, I pull up in this neighborhood because it's in yeah. a neighborhood now. Yep, um, it's all been built up around it. it was a neighborhood church, so I, I pull up. They have valet out front. You walk in. It, um, there's seats where look. You're seeing stained glass windows out back. Is this beautiful patio where we ended up eating? There's live music playing, and it's. Um, what I love, there's all these different chairs and there's this artwork everywhere. So he sets up artwork on the walls so that everything is visually captivating. And then so you have all your senses being hit when you walk in and then um, everyone's milling around. Not everybody knows each other, but now after a couple of years, people are starting to get to know each other. So there's kind of a friendly vibe to it. Um There's drinks being served. And then there's like, there's M&M things everywhere where you can kind of scoop out M&Ms. I was like, this is awesome. I love this place. And there was little things to do um, throughout the conference the next morning. They had all these uh, really creative donuts that were out on the table and for people to eat. And it was like everything was intentional. So I don't know if you've ever been to like the coolest conference in the world, but it's kind of that kind of... Ah, got it. Okay, there we go. Now I got the picture. (laughs) Yes. So when you have like... um, uh, Anyway, when you have speakers that are coming in, and one of them is just doing a, a documentary film on the spirit of a city, like uh, LA, just going around and looking at the soul of a city. When you're when you're talking about this guy that teaches hip hop to kids, and he has them build architecture through Legos, and he largely goes into the inner city and teaches young kids with music and Legos how to build community. I mean, it's just, there's so many vastly creative, like, uh, challenging and, well, how do you do this multi-use space and how do you handle this? While at the same time, um, you know, this woman had dealt with cancer and she's trying to write books and letters and cards to people that have cancer and all these things are pulling at your emotions and your mind. That's yeah. the conference.
0: So it's a really, a really broad mix of presenters and worldviews and ideas mm-hmm. Sounds like that's probably an understatement, yes, right there, and, and in, intentionally. <laughs> intentionally. So, mm-hmm, so yeah. uh, your tagline for Matter: a gathering of people who make places. Mm-hmm. I love that expression, mm-hmm. but what does it mean?
2: Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, uh, yeah. um, no, it's 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 in some ways deliberately vague. Mm -hmm. And I don't mean that to be sort of cute and coy. I mean, um, when I started Matter, and you know, look, this is this was my um, venture. It's just me. I I have a team of people that work with me, right? But there's there's it's there isn't a corporate backer. There's yeah. uh, It's this is me, right? Yeah. So, um. Basically, I needed a group of people who would trust me enough to show up when I said, hey, I'm doing a new thing. Will you take a flyer on it? Yeah. And so my relationships were really rooted in the development community. And so those were the people who primarily were the ones to say, yeah, I'll I'll, I'll come take a chance on this new thing. Mm Mm-hmm. The, I would say the common denominator that most of the people in the room share is that they either work in community development or they work in fields that are sort of, you know, development adjacent. And by that, I mean public art, public planning. Um, and my perspective on this was it was never going to be a conference about uh you know, real estate development, it was never even going to be about, uh, you know, the planning of cities and artful placemaking. Those are wonderful things, and the people in the room do a lot of them, but that's not what this focus was going to be. That mm-hmm. it was going to be this broader, richer mix of people, mm-hmm. and together, the things that they do, the the passion that they bring to their work, results in better, more vibrant— more lively, more livable places. Yeah,
0: it's almost people. The collective passion of the group. Yeah. inspires people in their own sort of individual right. ways. Yes, and and kind of the 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 gathering itself is a jumping off point for us to really talk about some of the values that you place behind yeah. matter and all of that. And we're going to get into, get into that in in just a second. I'm curious to hear from you, you know, Lance. You had the opportunity to to attend yeah. this last year. being in an environment that was different than a lot of environments that you're typically in. And and, and frankly, for most people there, I'm guessing it was a little different than the environment they're typically in. Right. But being around that collective passion, being around that diversity of gifting and perspective,
1: how were you moved by that experience? Yeah, for me, it was, um, so I thrive in creative environments. I thrive in idea bombardment. So, to me, it was awesome. Uh, it was very uncomfortable, personally, because I was not the coolest dude in the room. Um, meaning, uh, you know, once again, I stuck out. Um, uh, yet, at the same time, I was absorbing uh, all these ideas. I love the idea of raw data. I love the idea of something completely out of left field coming in and making me think. And... and. Um, I felt like, you know, let's take it back to being more personal here in Sacramento. So down in um, our waterfront here in Sacramento, mm-hmm. there's always been a desire to do some renovation. When we had the Golden One Center come in, you know, that that changed K Street, right? All of a sudden, property values changed. And and when they keep talking about we could have a killer, amazing waterfront, right? So you have uh, Joe's Crab Shack and you have the Rio City Cafe. And they're like, if we could renovate all this, because right now it's kind of um, there's, it's hit and miss, right? Mm-hmm. Well, they always have been talking for decades about how to make Sacramento cool. Well, the people that are behind the scenes that are trying to figure out how do where do we get the money from, how do we put it in, and what would we design to make our city come alive? Yeah. Those are the types of people that are in this room. Yeah. Right. This is this is what he's feeding into because you would say, now you could either have a bunch of corporate people walk in and just go, Well, we can make it built for money. Yeah. Or you can stir them in this pot. And all of a sudden, when they start shaping the waterfront of Sacramento, they're thinking lives being impacted. They're thinking of health. They're thinking about how are the poor uh, at least acknowledged. They're, wor- they're worried about the, the, the environmental impact. They're worried about, you know what I'm saying? Like they're, they're, you have all these power players mm-hmm. being mixed together. So for me, it was absolutely fantastic.
0: Yeah. huh? Wow. But out of That's- my element. Sure. Yeah, but I mean, I'm guessing that's sort of part of the point. Is is I mean, you even referenced this a, a minute ago, uh, Greg. Just the idea that you kind of want it to be a, a little bit of an uncomfortable environment, enough so that it's a little bit provocative for folks that come in. With that, I mean, would that be fair to say?
2: Yeah, I, you, you know, it, the the right measure of that is sure. a good thing.
0: Yeah, too much and we start to shut down or exactly. get defensive or whatever. Yeah. But not enough and it becomes just another mm-hmm. conference. Right. Right. So
1: uh, I want to hear a little bit, Greg. Can you um? Everything that I'm saying as a participant, how much of that is what you really wanted? How much of that is, well, that wasn't quite what I was going for? Or when you start talking about this idea that the Lord has really put you in this place Mm -hmm. for such a time as this, Mm -hmm. you have the ability to impact your world. I mean, we're engaging culture, right? That's the whole point of the podcast. Mm -hmm. You have an ability to engage culture in ways that I cannot. All those people are not coming to my church. All those people aren't listening to my podcast, but they're coming to your event. As a matter of fact, this is an invitation only event Mm -hmm. and it's very high ticket. So you have people paying significant money to be impacted and affected by something you're designing Mm -hmm. is what I'm experiencing, what you're hoping they're experiencing, like react off kind of the stuff that you're hearing me say. Does that make you feel good or wow, dude, that's not at all what I meant to (laughs) do?
2: Well, a lot of what. You're describing, and what I think shaped your experience is that this is very much a secular audience. Yes. And you walked in there as, and you know, it's not like you were wearing a badge that said, Hey, I'm a Christian, <laughs> and I, yes. you know, I, I give sermons every weekend. Um, but I think you walked in feeling like an outsider to that audience because it is very much. You, you know, uh, it, by definition, yes, this is a secular activity.
1: Absolutely. No, I think that's good. But as far as the experience <laughs> of someone coming in and being mixed up with a bunch of ideas, and is that really the hope of shaping tomorrow kind of through these people? Is that kind of really what you're going for?
2: Yeah, so there is nothing about the program that is going to be sort of this nuts and bolts how to get better at this particular thing, right? You're not going to come in there and be a better social media marketer because of something that you heard from this. Right. It is going to, I hope, um, really help you think about why you're doing what you're doing and how other people have navigated similar challenges and what you might take away from that in the sense of how do i look at the world how do i look at myself in it yeah why am i doing this
0: yeah, yeah. well and it's almost like those are like those are baseline issues that they're not measurable skills mm-hmm. necessarily right. but when we're healthy in those ways it transforms all mm-hmm. our measurable skills yeah. right I, i'm curious to know just i mean now you're coming up on year 3 mm-hmm. right how have you personally been impacted by the matter experience or how have you what have you learned from the kind of the community of people that you've gathered the event.
2: Yeah, it's been extraordinary. The people that I have met and gotten to know uh, have had a dramatic impact on my life. I'll share one particular story where this is kind of me in a dual role because I'm the organizer of the program and I'm the one who put all of this together, but I'm also, as it's playing out, sitting in the audience and receiving it just like everyone else is. So we had a speaker a couple of years back, who talked about um, what she described, and she's wonderful at wordplay, uh, she described as this concept of the cantalist. The
0: cantalist.
2: So she talks about how in uh in, in creative endeavors and in uh, you know creating Great things to put out into the world. There's a lot of focus on the word can, right? It's, Mm -hmm. it's, we, we, we tend to be very, uh, you know, kind of like, it's like a forward, uh, positive, optimistic way of looking at it. Sure. Her perspective on this was that there's a lot that we can learn uh, from flipping that perspective and looking at the, at can't and, and specifically looking at the things that you can't not do.
1: Hmm. Interesting. Right. Okay. So her
2: whole point on this was that if you pay attention to the things that you can't not do, right, you <laughs> cannot resist them yeah. when the opportunities come up. Yeah. Those are the things that you are deeply drawn to. And there's a reason for that. And if mm. you find those things and if you can sort of put them at the center of what you're doing, then everything that you do is going to be fueled by it and it's going to be better as a result of that. So yeah. I'm All listening right. to That's this. Powerful. And, again, I'm the organizer. I'm the one who brought her in as a speaker. I knew more or less what she was going to say. I wasn't expecting to be hit in a particular way. But as she's describing this, I'm thinking about our daughter. And she is wonderfully creative. She has this fantastic imagination. And she can be as flighty as you (laughs) could imagine a, a, a creative, artistic soul to be. And we had been wrestling with so as parents sort of this question of how much do you feed these creative opportunities versus how much do you try to also impose some structure hmm. and when i thought about her approach to the world from the standpoint of she's being drawn to the things that she can't not do she's not a willfully disobedient child, right? She's drawn to this because it's wired into her. Hmm. It changed my entire approach to parenting and how I looked at ways to give her more opportunities to do that, right? And we still had to address like the, you know, you got to clean up your room once in a while sort of thing. (laughs) Um, But that's like a fundamental shift, and it helped me see it in a way that I had never seen it before. Yeah. Huh. Wow. That's interesting. Uh,
1: Just you talking about that immediately goes, what... can't I not do that's ministry all my life I've been involved in ministry Paul talks about if I stop doing the gospel the rocks will cry out like there's this compulsion Mm. going on it's just it's not something there it's not on the table for me to say nope I can't do that I always have to do that and it's gonna leak out of me even when I try not to Mm. Mm -hmm. so yeah yeah, that's interesting and
0: I I love that perspective though because I think you know like like you're saying Lance you found in what you do like this is just how it's got to be you know like i there's something in you that is going to feel some angst or some dissatisfaction yeah. if you're not doing ministry and I, and i think that too many of us go through our lives Sort of settling for well, this is just what I'm going to do. And on some level, not everybody gets to have a job that they're passionate about. Mm -hmm. We're all very fortunate Mm -hmm. to get to do that. There are practical things we got to pay our bills, things like that, right? But but I think to even even if we're just talking hobbies or ways that we spend our time, yep. To to even ask that question of okay, what really Mm -hmm. makes me come alive? What what do I feel? There's something missing if it's not present. Man, I'm sure you'd agree with this, Greg. I think that if if more of us leaned into that. I think the world would be a very different place Mm -hmm. and but it's just so easy in the midst of stress and the day-to-day and challenges and parenting and trying to get enough sleep and all of that it's easy to to lose but uh uh, but I love that perspective of even saying I, I mean it's something my wife and I talk about in terms of I mean we're both fortunate to be you know similar to what Lance said very passionate about our careers but even just saying okay outside of that like what can you do when you're not mm-hmm. looking at the clock? Right. You know, What can you do when you're like, oh, man, it's already been an hour. I can't believe it. Yeah, um, I think there's something very human about leaning into that.
2: Yeah. So I was once asked uh, by someone in a very much kind of a business MBA sort of sense to define – uh, my objectives for why I was doing this, like you know, yeah. what, like w- what was I hoping for the outcome? So sure. I thought, okay, well, I got to think about this. <laughs> um, and I thought I was going to put together like a bulleted list for him. And really, when I sat down with it and kind of looked inside my own heart and what am I hoping to come out of this, it, three things emerged for me. Right. Um, the first is, uh, and we 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 talked we touched on this quite a bit I want everyone sitting in the room to feel something yeah I want their emotions to be activated uh second point is I want them to be changed by something that they felt Mm -hmm. and the third thing is I want them to go out and share it with other people yeah so there it is I want you to feel something I want you to change something as a result of it I want you to share it with others no business analyst <laughs> wants go. to hear yeah. that as right, your business plan. But yeah. that's it. That's success for me.
0: Yeah. Wow. I mean, you're like on some level, it's like, well, well and what else? <laughs> right. But yeah. but on a different level, if you accomplish that, I mean, that's transformational. Yeah. It really is. Yeah. It really is. So so you wrote this. Now, correct me. You, you have this credo. Yes. Is it, is it out in final draft form or is it still being as, I mean, is it still a work in progress?
2: Uh, I think I think it's in finished form now and we're in the process of formatting it and turning it into a small booklet.
0: Okay. So, what I was hoping to do for the remaining part of the episode is there was a uh, there uh, you sent us this credo and there's a big part of it that really resonated with me. I mean, a lot of it did, but in particular just this this one section. I want to read it and then I just want to just the three of us discuss some of the issues that get brought up by it because I think they're fascinating and probably any one of these five or six issues we could quite easily fill an hour talking about. But but you say this, you write, or did you write this or did, did someone else? I, did. I, I don't want to give I, you all the credit if it's, you know. I wrote it. Yes. Okay. Very yeah. good. You wrote, we believe that meaningful work is hard, but essential. Difference is interesting and valuable. In a time when things are becoming faster and shallower, there's tremendous value in slower and deeper. 97% of the time, the book is better than the movie. of the time, the original is better than the sequel. We are not our worst failures. We are not our greatest successes. We're meant to exist in community. When we don't feel alone, it's easier to be our unique, quirky, true selves. The point of life isn't to feel more comfortable. It's to feel more alive. That's good stuff right there. Thank you. That's good stuff. Okay. Wow. Wow. Lance is impressed. Okay, so Lance, here I'm gonna put you on the spot right here. Yes. Of what we just read, I've got a bunch of questions here that we could go through and, and we will. I'm just curious to know what of that we just read resonates most deeply with you.
1: Um, the idea that there's something that is God designed inside of us that when we connect into it, something gets engaged and comes alive. That's mm-hmm. that's that's the first thing that comes through in my mind. Awesome, very good. Love it. What about Um, you, Pastor Brian?
0: I, I mean, man, I don't know. So much of it. Uh, I, you know what? I'm just gonna have it be a lead into the first thing I want to talk about. Uh, Meaningful work is hard but essential. I feel like I've given myself some version of that speech for a very long Mm -hmm. time. I figure I feel like my wife and I have given each other versions of that speech as Mm -hmm. we've gotten discouraged by just the reality that meaningful work is hard. Why is it important to you? that we recognize that, that meaningful work, inherent in meaningful work is difficulty and what is lost if
2: we miss that. Right. So um, I find that the longer I do this work, the more autobiographical it becomes. Right? So, <laughs> uh, you know, whether that's selfish or whether that's, you know, uh, taking my own experience and helping other people learn from it or, or a mixture of both... Um, So here's a little backstory. When I made the decision to start Matter and to go into business for myself, and by the way, I'm not an entrepreneurial guy. I have no startup (laughs) experience before. I've gotten a lot of bumps and bruises along the way. I thought this was sort of the culmination of all that I had done and this was going to be living the dream, right? So <laughs> I have all of this you know, experience and now I'm going to take it and I'm going to turn it into my thing and I get to be the one who calls all the shots and I have total creative control. I thought it was ultimate. And, and the thing that I find is that the experience, and it's been wonderful, right? Uh, I, it's a fantastic thing to do. I'm so glad that I'm doing it. But what surprised me is that it is – it didn't surprise me that it's fulfilling up to 100. It surprised me that it is taxing up to 99, (laughs) and sometimes those two trade places.
1: Yes, yeah.
2: And uh, and, and there are a lot of different reasons we can get into that. But what I felt very early on was that – we were going to be missing something. It would be unfair to people to come at this as though, you know, follow your passion and everything will be great. Right. You know, that this was never going to be sort of a puppies and unicorns sort of thing where, you know, we. I wanted us to face head on the realities of what it means to do something that you pour your heart and soul into, that you open yourself up and make yourself vulnerable at times. Yeah. Um, that you do something, you know, if you want to create something that people are going to love, you have to be willing to create something that some people will hate. You have to be mm, willing to good. polarize yeah. and, and be okay with that. And, you know, sort of as, uh, you know, as the artist, as the creative, as, as anyone who's trying to put something out into the world that means something deeply to them, you, your, your feelings, your emotions, your identity are going to be tied up in it. Yeah. And when it doesn't go well, it's hard not to take that personally. So I just wanted to look at this all with a very honest lens and yeah, say, right. hey, this is great stuff and you should be doing it, but don't expect it to be easy. Yeah.
0: It's going to cost you something. Right.
2: Right. It's right. it's, it's going to be.
0: Well, and I think we live in a world where we have such incredible access to finished products, mm-hmm. right? <laughs> like mm-hmm. we can see, uh, you know, somebody, no, I mean, it's a cliche now, but you know, nobody posts the picture of them getting out of bed at five in the morning to go to the gym. They just post the, here's me before and here's me having lost 50 pounds. Like we don't see the struggle. Right. Mm -hmm. We don't see the struggle of the creative process. We see the book. We see the sermon. We see whatever. You know, it's funny. I was having coffee with a good buddy of mine the other day and he was asking about my process for Or Oh, here's what he was asking. He was asking, man, are you just wiped out after the weekend Mm -hmm. uh, after a week? If if I uh, preach, which Mm -hmm. is, you know, just a handful of times a year. And I, whenever people ask me that, I always tell them, actually, no, I'm very energized by the preaching process. So I go home and I'm, I'm great. We'll, you know, we'll go to the pool, we'll ride bikes, we'll you know, play with my kids, do whatever. I'm, I'm good. I say it's Saturday at three mm-hmm. 30 then I'm like, just find me a hole I can mm-hmm. crawl into and just, yeah, you know, right. Or I talk about how going through, and I don't know what your week is like, Lance, you obviously do this a lot more than me, but I talked about how I've just learned to trust the process of on a preaching week, Tuesday, Wednesday, I'm just gonna feel terrible about myself. Mm-hmm. Like I'm just like, this is it. Mm-hmm. This is the week. I'll have nothing to say. <laughs> I will be exposed as a fraud, yes, yes. and it's over. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> I'm just sort of. And this then you know, is the end of my life. Exactly. And then it's you know, Thursday, Friday. I pick myself up off the ground, and I write the sermon. You know? Right. And then yeah. people see the weekend like oh well that was nice right it's like oh man there's there's so much behind but i've just again i've learned to trust that process and i'm sure hopefully your process is a little gentler than that you know lance (laughs) but i'm sure you can relate to that on some level but you learn to trust the process to say okay i'm gonna get through i need to just push through the the challenge i need to push through the sense of you know the pressure of oh gosh what's gonna happen you know god what's you know help you know Mm. i need to just push through that and trust that god will meet me in that and something good will come out of it but it's hard. Mm-hmm. But it's so hard. And and I think that too often when we fixate on finished products, because, again, that's that's what we see. Nobody's sitting and watching, you know, right. You know, we right. stare at my blank computer screen going, OK, here we go. Right. Yep. Um, but when we fixate on the finished process without or finished product without appreciation for how hard the process is, when we're faced with our own hard process, it can get pretty discouraging. Right? Yeah,
1: for sure. No, I think I think the very idea of meaningful is kind of where the um, the Christian world and the secular world can can meet together. I think that one thing that's so beautiful about what Greg, what you do and what matters about is the idea that I, I feel like this is where the church has strength. This yeah. is where the mm-hmm. church has traction. Mm-hmm. Because if you're going to talk about matter, you're going to talk about purpose. Yeah. You're going to talk about purpose, you have to talk about design. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If you're going to talk about design, you have to talk about God. Yeah. And, and like, um, it, instead of chasing all the way up the chain, you can stop at the links that are a little bit lower mm-hmm. and have this deep interaction that if the Lord then draws them up the chain, that's up between them. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But yeah. what we're going to do is we're going to talk about meaning. We're going to talk about value. We're going to talk about matter. We're going to talk about transformation. We're going to talk about... And that's where there's all this overlap, 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 overlap. And I feel like you're in that sweet spot, which I think for our listeners, um, the idea that you would say, where in your life do you have an intersection Hmm, with with the world where you can play, (laughs) where you can talk, where you can engage? Because once again, if you stay in that area... The Lord has access to draw them one direction. The, obviously, the enemy has a chance to draw them in another direction. But you're not in a place of conflict. You're in a place of confluence. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm talking yeah. about? Yeah. And, and that's a beautiful, like, if we're going to talk about engaging culture, yeah. that's a sweet spot. Mm-hmm. It's yeah. right there. Because if you stepped in and started having, you know, it was constant preachers coming in and talking, mm-hmm. it changes the conference. Mm-hmm. It, it, it ruins it. And so what you do is you continue to have elements of God existing Mm -hmm. in other places through some people that may not acknowledge him at all as God, but he's still anointed them. There's still stuff going through them, you know? Um, So anyway, I, I, not necessarily, you know, jumping off your side of things, but you don't want, knowing you, Greg, I, the idea is, you know, you were saying earlier, you had three things that you really wanted. You wanted people to feel something, change because of it, and tell others about it. You know, you could say, well, that could be at a um, a murderer's convention. You know, <laughs> hey, I felt something. I'm going to kill better, and I'm going to tell all my serial killer friends about it. Um, that obviously, the point is, is behind those things, it's why you put it in your credo right off the bat. It's meaningful. Mm-hmm. Like we're not just doing anything. Yeah. We're doing something meaningful. Right. And yeah. underlying that is a is is
2: power. Yeah. yeah. So anyway. Yeah, absolutely. So I read somewhere that uh psychologists believe that there are two universal desires that we all share, right? So the first one is to know that someone cares when we're hurting. And the second one is to believe that in the end things are gonna be okay. Right. If we all want that universally, yeah. right? what that tells me is we all want a loving and caring God. We just yes. call him by different names. Yes. And some yeah. people are uncomfortable with the God of the Bible, and so they're seeking it in other forms. But at the end of the day, who doesn't want that? Yeah. Right. Yeah. Well, and that's, yeah.
0: You're, I mean, what you have described is what God offers to us. And mm. and you're right that various people for various reasons have levels of discomfort or whatever the case may be. But but I think you talk about intersections, you know, Lance and I, I love that that terminology is is very helpful to me. Uh intersecting so, kind of, you know, our our passion, our needs, our desires with sort of the needs of the world. Um if those truly are universal needs and I have no reason to doubt that they that they are, um man, that's I mean our faith speaks into that so beautifully. Mm-hmm. And, and I think it's, it's tremendous to be able to think about that in terms of how do we even talk about our faith? how do we engage culture with, with a, a Christian perspective? It's mm-hmm. that we're able to speak to these issues of there is someone who cares mm-hmm. and things are going to turn out you know right. okay at the end, which is which is beautiful to me. Now I want to ask you about another element of, of the credo because this is something I'm, I'm contemplating quite quite a lot in my own life is, is you say that in a time when things are becoming faster and shallower there's tremendous value in, in slower and deeper. Mm-hmm. I feel like we're in the midst of this sort of funny culture, like the beginning of maybe a bit of a cultural backlash right now, Mm -hmm. where the speed of things has increased so much that now there is starting to be this swing the other direction, sort of mindfulness activities are very popular right Mm -hmm. now. There are all Mm these, uh, I mean, you know, I keep hearing about books talking about, you know, getting rid of hurry and slowing down and everything else. It's like, we've sort of realized, okay, maybe we're, we're spinning the wheels a little fast here and we ought to, we ought to pull it back. How have you seen, in the community that you engage with, through specifically through the Matter Conference, Mm -hmm. or the Matter Gathering, excuse me, how how do you see the benefit of this sort of slower, deeper approach to life that you're advocating in the Credo?
2: Well, there's a bit of a paradox here, because, and this is true of me, and I know this to be true of many of the people who attend, and are part of this, and... Value it and spend time and money to be there. Um, you know, I, I think just about everyone in the room would raise their hand and say, "Yes, I ag- agree with that," and <laughs> and and that's something that I want to make a priority in my life. And yet, in the day to day. Uh, you know, just rush of life and especially in career. I mean, the people who are there are successful. They are generally, uh, you know, senior executives within their organization. (laughs) These are people who wouldn't have gotten where they did if they didn't have a lot of drive in them. And and, And one of the things I came to understand is that for most of them, something like Matter is one of the rare times over the course of a year when they will actually take the time out of their schedule to be filled up. By something like this, so they mm-hmm. people have told me. I walk into the room, I'm completely on empty, and this fills me up in a way that I need, so I can be recharged and go back and 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 give what I need to my company and my friends and my family. Yeah. Um, you know, which is, I I love to hear that. I'm glad that we're able to provide that, but it's also kind of a stark reminder of you know the the pace of life that we lead doesn't leave a lot of room for that,
0: right? So then, how do we? I mean, and I, I think that raises a question. And I'm I'm not going to suggest that any one of us are experts in what I'm about to ask. But how do we do that? How do we yeah. cult, how do we cultivate some depth and some slowness in a world that is moving so fast? I, I think that I, I feel that tension personally. I see that tension around me. Mm-hmm. H- how do we How do we start to do that? Or is that why you have the conference? So someone else will tell us how.
2: <laughs> <No>. <laughs> Um, well, okay, so here, here's the affirmation part of it. I think it's really important to bring in people who kind of have the crash and burn experience. Yeah, I mean, unfortunately, a lot of this we learn through cautionary tale. Yep. But at least we can learn from it, right? So, uh, you know, I think there's tremendous value in hearing from one another our stories. Uh, you know, sort of the hard lessons learned. And so that's a big part of, you know, what uh, you will hear from the speakers on the stage, but also just from the people that you're talking to in the room is, you know, we have these shared values. We want this. We are all up against the same reality. So what's worked for you? Yeah. Um, You know, I'll, I'll throw out, you know, you talked about there's a lot of books out there and a lot of talk about it. I'll throw out one thing that's been particularly on my mind recently Um, And this is a little bit of a tip to a speaker that I'm hoping to bring to matter. Uh, But uh, there's a book called How to Do Nothing by Jenny O'Dell. (laughs) It's funny. And, you know, sort of counter to what the title suggests, it's not necessarily, you know, like, you know, like you go do a silent meditation for a week. Uh, What she's really talking—I mean, so she's she's talking about regaining kind of space and time and perspective in your life. Um, But what's so fascinating to me is she's looking deeper into kind of the fundamental implication of what it means that we now live in a world and we are complicit Mm -hmm. in letting our time and our attention become this commodity— that the facebooks and the amazons and the twitters of the world and Instagram can capture and monetize, and we're okay with that. <laughs> That's a little bit chilling when you think about it. And so sure. she, she's got she's got a, kind of a really deep perspective on um, uh, what it says about us if we are willing to kind of just go along with that.
0: Yeah. Well. Yeah. And 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 obviously the the forces behind that are very smart and know how mm-hmm. to tap into mm-hmm. our psyches in various ways. And I don't mean to say that in like a fear-mongery sort right. of way, but it's just a reality. Mm-hmm. And and it is, you know, the, to be able to, to detach from that is not natural. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like natural is just, well, we're part of this new system now, and this is our role in it, and the Facebooks and the Instagrams and the Amazons of the world now mm-hmm. have this at unprecedented access to us, and how do we... Step away from it, and that becomes a challenge, right? right? And I
2: think that's a that, that's so is kind of a roundabout way of getting back to the question that you asked. Is I want to suggest that, and and believe me, I need this as much as anyone. Um, I want to suggest that if we kind of reevaluate what we're allowing to define our identity, yeah. we're already on the right path toward. Kind of getting our time and our activities and our priorities aligned with, and and you know, in, in this case, we're, you know, we're talking about God, the Creator yeah, sure. who loves us and
0: and wants only the best for us. Yeah. From a faith perspective, yes, realigning our identity is—I mean—is—is is clear and is the forefront. I mean, we talk about that all the time here at Bridgeway. I mean, mm-hmm. and for good reason, because that is the foundation of 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 so much. Mm-hmm. And when we're unclear about our identity, or I would argue, we're not we're not intentional about identity right. formation, it gets formed kind of for us, which mm-hmm. is never as healthy. So, last question, and then we'll we'll, we'll get out of here. Yep. Unless, hold on one second. Oh, hold hold on, on.
1: Hold on. I, I got to throw something go, in here go. real quick. Um, One of the things that that, uh, Greg tries to do through this conference is bring in thought leaders. And what that means is is that you have a lot of people that um, are early adopters that you're hoping to get in the room, and they start leading into that. When you said, what do you do about all this fast-paced stuff? The first time I was ever introduced to the slow movement was at the Vine. Mm. Mm. So we were down, um, I think we were in Santa Barbara, Mm -hmm. um, and we had a slow dinner. And that was the first time where you go, Well, what's a slow dinner? It was the idea that you draw it out for a really long time and there's meaningful pieces all the way along. So uh, we started the evening and had the chef come out and talk about where all the ingredients were from, where they were harvested, what was used, how it was all made, and then you had kind of a talk and then there was drinks time and then it was and it was stretching it out. And so it was actually at this conference that I began to be introduced to ideas of slowing down. Hmm. And that, that, now that was way back when. I don't even remember what year that was.
2: That was 2006. So, yeah, yeah this was yeah, like an wow. early adopter okay. thing at that time. Yeah. It's, it's, a, it's a lot more commonplace yeah. now. Sure, right. Yeah. So,
1: that's what I'm saying is back then it was all new and edgy because a lot of those people that were the early adopters and the early th- thought producers were already burned out. <laughs> like so, so they were saying, listen, this is what we are engaging with. And there was a big movement in Europe and all that stuff. So this is what we're engaging with. We're going to bring it back. Well, now that stuff is trickling in and becoming a bit more mainstream, right? Yeah. But back in 2006, it was a little bit new. And so I would just say that one of the things that is necessary for transformation is reflection. Yep. And now, if you have too much reflection, you have no movement. Mm -hmm. If you have no reflection, you have no movement. So it is the the proper amount of reflection drives transformation. So anyway, that was it. I just wanted to say that. Throwing it back to you.
0: Amen. Well (laughs) said. So here's here's my last question, and and there's so many other things from the manifesto we or the the credo we could we could manifesto credo whatever. Um, anyways uh that we could get into but but i just thought we had a quick conversation here about this last these last couple lines the point of life isn't to feel more comfortable it's to feel more alive what's the difference between those two things and then how do we get away from why are we so obsessed with comfort and how do we how do we get to something more meaningful than that
2: right um so uh, quick sidebar: This started out as a manifesto, and someone told me it was a little bit too Unabomber esque. Yes. Yeah, that's, that's all I think <laughs> of the
0: Communist Manifesto. Yes, great. Not a lot of like hi, like things we think highly of are called manifestos no. these days. <laughs> right. So, the my peace bad. Manifesto. Credo.
2: Um, Go. Okay, I'm sorry. What was? The question?
0: <laughs> what was? Uh, what are we even talking about? I don't know. Comfort versus feeling more alive. Uh, yeah, yeah. What's the difference? Why are we so driven to comfort, and, and how can we pursue something greater?
2: Oh, okay. So there's a lot here. Um, all right, I'm I'm gonna tell a quick story yeah. about what framed this perspective for me the first time, and this was from a woman named D. Williams, who was an early pioneer in the tiny house movement, and she wrote a memoir about her own experience of a kind of you know life transformation from. Uh, you know, career path and a uh, three-bedroom, two-bathroom house. And and uh, she ultimately uh, built an 84-square-foot home that she now lives in and kind of just, I mean, you know, so yeah, wow. massive life reconfiguration. And she lives up in Washington, and this tiny house has no heating and no air conditioning, and so wow. it gets hot in the summer and it gets cold in the winter. And she shared a story about... And she had a little space heater and then at some point uh, became aware of the fact that she was enclosed in a structure made entirely of wood (laughs) with an unreliable heater. Yes. And it just made her a little bit too edgy. So she got rid of the space heater. Can't imagine Um, Her process for enduring the cold winter nights is uh, she would get up into her loft bed space. She would huddle under a big pile of blankets, and then she would get her dog up there with her, and the dog would sort of curl up, and the two of them would create this little pocket of warmth. So here's the takeaway. She writes in her memoir that although it never got, you know, like warm and, and and uh, you know, uh, this was not like she was under down comforters or anything. right. But her point was, I was warm enough in the same way that I was happy enough, which is to say, the good and the bad are part of what shaped my experience. And I'm not trying for... Euphoria. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that, you know, like, so I'm, I'm not... Advocating that we all live as monks and and (laughs) uh, and and deprive ourselves at every turn, Uh, but yeah, there is something a little bit sinister in believing that comfort is the point of everything, and then you've kind of created this sheltered life for yourself. Yeah, Um, and and a lot of so um, for me, my own personal experience and what shaped that perspective and why it made it into the credo is that I began to see that the times in my life when I was the most comfortable and I had the least amount of conflict and the least amount of turmoil, I was also the least satisfied with what I was doing and the work that I was putting out into the world. Hmm. Interesting. And that if I wasn't taking chances, if I wasn't having ups and downs— sure. It meant that I wasn't taking chances. If I wasn't taking chances I wasn't stretching myself and I wasn't doing the work that I was most pleased with. Yeah.
0: It's almost like if as a as a creative or as somebody who desires to really put something out into the world that is useful and beneficial, if if there's not if there's no tension, there's sort of almost no fun. Right. (laughs) You you kind of have to have that sense of, okay, this is hard, this is difficult, I don't know if this is gonna work, I've got critics, I've got this and that going on. Like there's something that kind of makes you feel alive in that. Right? It's the
1: rule of literature. Yeah. All stories have to have tension or yes. they're not
0: stories. Right. right. It's, or it's yeah. a boring story. Lance, we talk about, I mean, you know, you use the phrase to describe yourself as an agitating peacemaker, right? Yes. Someone who's willing to shake things up to settle things down. Yes. And, and I think I, I thought of you as I was reading this and, and sort of this contrast between comfort and aliveness necessarily. I mean, yep. looking at it specifically through the lens of, of our faith, looking at it through the lens of a pastor, yeah. I mean, how do you go about A, just for yourself, and then B, even as a leader of others, trying to point us towards being more alive as opposed to simply settling for? comfort.
1: Well, and that's the thing. I think that we were built um, to where uh, you know there's a lot of different seasons in life, but some of those seasons of life in Christianity ought to be exhilarating. And I think that the exhilaration comes from tension. It comes from stretching. It comes from, "Oh my gosh, I have muscles that I've been building and I thought it was just hard and now I'm now I'm stronger." And I think it's discovery, but discovery demands ignorance and you know what I mean? It's yeah. like there's so to me everything that Jesus did was that whole Tension piece that he would, they would come in close and he'd keep drawing him in and then he'd push him back and then they'd come back in and then he'd challenge him. And then, I mean, so I felt like he was that agitating. Peacemaker guy that I'm trying to chase after and be like him, yeah. you know? And so um, for me, I think everything we're talking about is so rich and so good. And this is yeah. why I was excited about this conversation.
0: Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think, you know, t- to your point, Greg, you're saying it's not like it's not about needless deprivation, right? right. It's it. And, and I don't think there's anything wrong with enjoying the comforts of nope. the lives That's we've been given, of, 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 you know, just the, the, the mo- modern conveniences we have. I don't think there's anything wrong with enjoying those things. But when we make our chief end comfort, I don't think that's ever going to activate everything in us right. that God, God wants to activate. Right. Yeah. And and the greatest change agents in the world today are not people who are sitting around trying to maximize their comfort. And I would even go so far as to say the happiest people in the yeah. world yeah. are not people
2: trying to I, I think there's comfort. a great myth around risk, which says mm-hmm. that it's risky to go out on a limb and it's safe to stay in, you know, close in a comfortable spot. Yeah. And I would argue there's risk in both of them. It's just a different kind of risk. Yeah.
0: Sort of reminds me of the the old, they talk about like consult your physician before starting an exercise program and the consult their physician before becoming sedentary. It's a a little bit like that as well. So anyway, well, Hey, uh, this was a really fun conversation. Thank you, Greg, for being part of the show. Really appreciate it. Uh, and thanks for all the work you do with matter. It's just, man, need more voices like yours and need more gatherings like yours. So really appreciate it. Thank you, Lance, for uh, the time as always. Thanks to Lucian and Montana for making us sound good and look good, or at least sound and look as good as we can. Thanks for listening. Uh, all of you appreciate it. We'll see you in two weeks for another episode of Engaging Culture. Thank you for listening to Engaging Culture, a podcast by Bridgeway Christian Church. If you enjoyed the show, please consider subscribing and leaving a review on iTunes. Thank you so much for listening. Music is used under the Creative Commons license and is provided by Dexter Britton.